Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is June 11, 2020, and it's Thursday, and it started uh, pretty feisty. And this goes back to, uh, you know, this international intervention, not just money, but a lot more, uh, a lot more that is to come. Uh, I thought that today we can start this off as we see this unprecedented insanity. Remember, we just had the Democrats and our leaders in general use a health emergency to subvert our democracy. Weddings were canceled. Your loved ones died and you couldn't be there. You couldn't have any funerals. You were stuck indoors. You know, they terrorized people. You're not allowed on the streets. It was just horrible. They locked you up telling you that you were going to die. And now we have the riots and the riots that are pretty weird because now they don't even know what they want. They're asking for autonomous areas. And like Sarah Westall said so well on Twitter, this is exactly how ISIS fight. This is how terrorists fight. They take a, a territory, they arm themselves, they claim it theirs, and then they push out uh, to gain more ground. Though these people that are actually doing it are dumb. Really dumb. They're tweeting out how they were out of food because the hobo stole it. And the thing is, electricity is going to turn off at some point. Water, heat, supermarkets that they loot in that area are going to be empty. Then what? Do they shop, air quote, loot to sustain themselves? What weapons are coming in? What are they planning there? Could they be creating a bomb? I mean, for all of you that are around this autonomous zone and live in Seattle, those are questions I'd have. They're starting to stop and frisk if uh, you don't seem like a familiar. This is pure insanity that we're seeing. And it seems as if nobody's really paying attention. Take a listen uh, to what Fox had to say in regards to Seattle being under siege. Washington, we start with chief breaking news correspondent Frank Gallagher on the protester takeover of a portion of an American city tonight at Seattle. Good evening, Trace. Shannon, good evening. It's not a violent coup in downtown Seattle, but it could be emblematic of where the Democratic Party is heading. On Monday, police boarded up a downtown precinct, and since then, hundreds of protesters, reportedly from Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and others, have moved into the area, declaring it the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or CHAZ. And the protesters appear to be turning against their own, storming City Hall, demanding the resignation of Mayor Jenny Durkin. Unusual, since Durkin is a progressive who has long supported far left issues. But this time the mayor is calling for police reform. The protesters want the police department abolished and won't budge. Of course, there are calls across the country for police departments to be defunded, but presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden does not feel that way. In fact, just the opposite. 
In a USA Today op-ed, the former vice president wrote, quoting here, while I do not believe federal dollars should go to police departments violating people's rights or turning to violence as the first resort, I do not support defunding police. Instead, Biden supports giving more money to departments that are willing to implement reforms. Recently, Democratic Socialist Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez also came out in favor of defunding police, though her primary push still appears to be demilitarizing police. Watch. We would not be giving local police departments who are undertrained a tank if we didn't give the military too much money to have extra damn tanks lying around to begin with. And in an op-ed in the law enforcement publication Law Officer, a third-generation cop says there's no need to abolish police because they won't be around. Quoting again, cowards are all around us from chiefs to sheriffs to politicians. No one has our back. I used to talk cops out of leaving the job. Now I'm encouraging them. And former New York City Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick says he's been told 600 NYPD officers are considering leaving. Did I mention that crime last week in Los Angeles was up 250% from the previous week? Yeah, well, that's what you get when you subscribe to lawlessness. Now, I am not going to sit here and tell you that we do not have a problem with police officers that walk around like they have a heart on or that we hire, you know, police officers that suffer from PTSD, which is a bad thing, right? We have bad eggs everywhere. And some of them just get so desensitized, like correctional officers, that no longer, you know, this happens. It chips away at your soul. The job you do does chip away at your soul. So I'm not going to say that some racists that were raised racist, right? Because you have to have parents that teach you that you're oppressed and you need to fight or that you're better than everybody else. So you should squish on all of them and they should all die. That gets taught at home. (laughs) And this is why we have so many black youths so angry because they had parents at home telling them. Just how harder they have to fight, how this nation hates them. It doesn't. This nation loves them. And if they were raised like that, you know, it wouldn't be like this. I'm saying that is the fact. Think about it. If you're walking into an interview and you're nervous, guess what happens? Interview goes pear shaped. If you walk in there like you own the place, yo, you need to hire me because I'm the best. I am the best. You walk in there like that, you own the place, and you walk out with an offer. It's all about your attitude and your perception because your micro movements, micro statements, micro everything underlie the tone that you carry for yourself. So if you're training your kids... That this nation does not like them, that they're nothing to them, that they're trash. Well, then your kids are just going to perpetuate the racism and the anger. Ergo, we get this. Riots, mobs, animals with complete disregard for life. Complete disregard. (laughs) You know, in Seattle right now, I think all the residents should be asking questions. What are they doing there? What if they're creating bombs? What if they're planning something else? What if they have some viral toxin? These are all questions people should be asking. And why do I say this? I mean, you could say that about your neighbor. Yeah, you can, but your neighbor is not 
in a hostile manner, blocking off entrance to anyone. And then you might say, well, you're a free man. You shouldn't have the police police you. And I get it. Yeah, you're right. I don't want the police policing me, but I do want them around when I need their help because it's only me because apparently I can't walk around with a gun in Seattle per se. So we have to give, take, give, take. There's a balance. There's something called a pan meso ariston, the everything in moderation. Let's just put it that way. Uh, when you have a society, there's got to be structure, there's leadership, there's protection. And as a society, you contribute to it to make it function well. And people take positions that they feel comfortable with, that they are happy with. Do you want to be, for example, my children, I said to to, to my children, Hey, you want to be a hairdresser, man, I'm going to send you to be the best hairdresser you want. You want to be a barista. You're going to be going down and and you're going to know everything about coffee. I'm going to let you smell all the coffee. You're going to be the best. That's the thing. People need to find what they're good at and do it. That's how you contribute to society. Not, I'm just doing a job. You got to be happy in what you do. Because when you're happy in what you do, (laughs) everything works better, right? Happy workers are more productive. More productive workers make a more productive society. Uh, For some reason, a lot of people, I hate my job. Well, then you shouldn't be doing it. Figure out what you want to do. And um, I had a conversation with someone this morning that was interesting, and I let it percolate for a bit. Uh, It was talking about people understanding their norms and values and what they want. How do you reprogram yourself uh, to think on that foundation? And the question is, if someone was to ask you, what are your values? I know a lot of you will probably um, spin off um, Second Amendment, the right to freedom, this, this, this. No, no, no. I'm not asking you that. I'm saying for you. Like, I'm, I'm, I really believe that there aren't many people out there right now that could say this one moment, this one thing, this is what would make me happy. And happy, elated, happy, right? Like super happy because I think all of us have settled for being content. I'm content. I, you know, people say I have this, I'm content. I have what I need. I'm content. I have this, I'm content. Whatever happened to actually being happy because a genius is the one that does his job and loves it. So as long as we're in content, which means we're in the middle of, I hate this, I like this, means that we are easily picked and prodded apart. Uh, this is just a, a more spiritual approach to it, spiritual in the sense of your own self, um, to understand why the health of our nation, the health of uh, all civilizations on this planet right now are so volatile. And um, the war for you, for you as a person, for you as a free person, is really creeping up. It's pretty insane. And a lot of people are plotting things that are happening that make absolutely no sense. For example, NYPD is now going to be using drones to take your temperature. I think I told you that they're doing this in North Dakota already uh, to monitor your temperature and crowd control. Take a listen to this report uh, by Varney and Co. a couple days ago. Back to the virus, the New York City Police Department is looking at using drones to track your temperature. Let's bring in Christina Parts and Avalos. Christina, I would imagine this poses 
some serious privacy concerns, right? Of course it does. We're going to get to that. But imagine, Ashley, if you're in Times Square like I am and you decide all of a sudden you're coughing and a drone is hovering right above you or you're standing with your group of friends and a drone speaker says, step away from your friends, you're standing too close. Well, this could actually become a reality. They're called pandemic drones and state and local police forces are looking into using them. These drones are made from a Canadian company called Dragonfly and they can monitor your temperature from 190 feet away they can also detect sneezing, coughing, your heart and breathing rates. Uh, at the moment, we know that they've had test flights in Westport, Connecticut with the uh, Westport police over there. But like you mentioned, Ashley, there were a lot of concerns about privacy. So the police force over there scrapped the plans. However, Westport's police did say that the NYPD, that's the New York Police Department, is looking into them. We reached out to the NYPD and they didn't deny it. They provided us with this statement, quote, the NYPD regularly reaches out to various police departments and law enforcement agencies to discuss and exchange information regarding best practices and the use of various forms of technology. There are no plans at this time to purchase this particular product. I reached out to a contact at the uh, Federal Aviation Association, or FAA, I should say, sorry, and they said so far the NYPD hasn't put an authorization request to start flying it around New York. And when I asked the FAA again, a government agency, about privacy, they said they monitor security, not privacy. And these drones, although they use biometrics to determine your heart rate, breathing rate, etc., they say the drones are not designed to identify people. Ashley, back to you. Mm-hmm. That's what they all say. All right, Christina. That's what they all say. Mm-hmm. Because there's a camera there, and it's not like you could pass that, you know, footage somewhere else. I don't know, run it maybe through a face recognition program or something. That's what they tell you. They tell you, uh, you know, all this rubbish. And in the end, it's all about control. All about control, you guys. This is where it's, this is what it's coming down to. How easily can they control you? How easily can they take hold of you? That's all they care about. That is really all they care about. Now Portland's under siege and they're marking off a territory for themselves. I thought that in this first hour, we can listen to Pelosi's question and answer for her weekly press conference. Uh, Take a listen to this interaction. These are the questions. The statues that have been in Congress for, for decades, uh, it says something to, to the durability of those symbols in the Capitol that they're still here despite you being speaker twice. And yesterday you announced you're going to try to have them moved. Over in the Senate side, uh, the Armed Services Committee says or has, has issued or their bill would reinforce the renaming of Confederate or bases named after Confederate generals. Can you talk about this phenomenon and whether or not your defense authorization bill will contain comparable language and will you force it through a veto threat? If oh, necessary? the Senate piece you're talking about is their bill that takes them out in three years. Okay. Let me just say that when I was speaker, I did uh, do what I had the authority to do, which was to relegate Robert E. Lee to the crypt. Uh, and, and I could move things around. I couldn't actually take them out. That requires something else. And that's why I wrote the letter uh, uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago, June 10th, yesterday, uh, about uh, Stevens. I just 
Can you imagine Jefferson Davis, Alexander Stevens, treason? They committed treason against the United States of America, and their statues are still here because their states put them here. So that's why we're, uh, I wrote to Chairman Blunt, chair of the Rules Committee, and uh, the chair of our House Administration Committee, which is the equivalent committee, Zoe Lofgren. And I particularly talked about Alexander Stevens because uh, in the, these are his words. The infamous words of Stevens makes us it clear today, as they did in 1861, the aims of the Confederacy. It's, it has come in his cornerstone speech. And he says, Stevens asserted that the prevailing ideas relied upon by our founders including included the assumption of the equality of man. He goes on to say, this is wrong. And then he goes on from there. You can see my letter and see what he says and see why he has to come out of the Capitol. Now, we do have, if I do believe that the committees have the jurisdiction to move these statues, but we also have legislation, Barbara Lee and Benny Thompson, the chair of Homeland Security Committee, and Barbara Lee, a senior member of the Appropriations Committee, member of our House Democratic leadership, they have legislation that would um, get rid of, well, we have 11 of them that we have our eye on. Uh, the, but it, it may take legislation or action by the rule committee. It, it, believe me, if I had more authority, we would have fewer of those statutes around. The um, question you asked about the Armed Services Committee relates to the names of the military bases, correct? You're not talking about statues in the house, yeah. So we'll see. Uh, that may require legislation. But I want to tell you something. The American people know these names have to go. These names are white supremacists that uh, said terrible things about our country. This is like over 100 years after World War II. Some of these names were given to these bases. And they, they, you listen to who they are and what they said, and then you have the president make a case as to why a base should be named for them. He seems to be the only person left who doesn't get it. But then again... So whether it will, I don't know if it will be in the bill. We may have freestanding, may combine with statues in the Capitol. I don't know uh, because that will be up to the makers of the motion to suggest how they would like to proceed. But these names have to go from these bases, and these statues have to go from the Capitol. Yes, ma'am. Have you heard back from Senator Blunt to follow up on his question? Has Senator Blunt had any conversation or correspondence with you? No, but I think he's spoken in the public domain and saying it's up to the states. But it, it, it may be up to the states to send it here, but it's not up to the states where it might be. And we cannot have these statues in that place. Now, as I said earlier, public sentiment is everything. This is a perfect time for us to move those statues because other times people may think, oh, who cares? I never go there anyway. I didn't, they all look alike to me. There are all these white men there. On the other hand, uh, that's what I think. On the other hand, uh, <laughs> this might be 
the timing might be just right. Yes, ma'am. Now come to you. Oh, well, up to you. I, 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 okay. I'm a woman. And, um, have you, have you and Leader McConnell made any progress on naming a chair to the Congressional Oversight Commission? Do you plan to release any names of people in consideration for that role? Yes. When? Yes. We've made progress. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was a yes or no. Oh, so now you have a follow-up question. When? Hopefully soon. I think it will be imminent. So thank you for your question. Uh, to follow up on their questions, are you, do you have the power yourself then to move Alexander Stevens, Jefferson Davis, from Statuary Hall into some dark corner of the <laughs> Capitol, the visitor center, a faraway spot? And if so, will you do so? Well, we'll see. In other words, we're, we try. You start with a feather. And <laughs> always like to start with a feather. Let's see how we can have consensus about this. Uh, but really, and some of our members over the years, especially our members in the Black Caucus, have have just wondered, what are these people doing here? Well, most of us don't know one from the other. You know, that's it. there they are. Uh, but... Um, um, I, Jesse Jackson Jr. wrote a book on this, I believe, on uh, a more perfect union. It did not include uh, Alexander Stevens and Jefferson Davis having a place of honor in the capital of the United States. But let's focus on the bill. Let's focus on no chokeholds, no pro racial profiling, no um, uh, no knock warrants in case of drug cases. Let's talk about ending injustice, racial injustice in our law enforcement. Let's focus on what we do about immunity in terms of prosecution uh, in the uh, legislation and how we go forward. Let's see how we can work together, recognizing that there are many fine people in our first responders in our law enforcement. Many of them want to be part of the solution, but they haven't been. And so now we need uh, this legislation. And again, statues, this, that, and the other thing, that's important. But what's important is that uh, if we had had no chokehold, George Floyd would be with us. If we had no, if we had a data collection, that little boy, oh my gosh, 12 years old, killed by a police officer who was fired from another jurisdiction, and then, and then uh, hired elsewhere. If we had the no-knock law in place, we would not have had Breonna's passing away. And so, again, this legislation would translate into lives, and that's what, that's what George Floyd's brother was talking about yesterday. Save lives. Stop this. Save lives. There's a spike going on in some parts of the country. Is there any thought about breaking out the testing part of the HEROES Act and passing that? Or is there any way to speed up this law? If the administration were interested, they would have been doing it themselves. But it does have significant funding for the testing, tracing, treatment, 
social distancing and the rest. It has requirements for collecting the data so that we know the size of the problem so that we can uh, take it out and also that we can treat the disparities, most importantly, that we can treat the disparities. So again, it is one of the pillars, the three pillars, honor our heroes, state and local government, open our economy with the testing, treating, testing, tracing, treating, and uh, money in the pockets of the American people. While at the same time, we have funds for voting, the, the uh, Postal Service, OSHA, and food. So the whole package is about the security, the lives, the livelihood, and the life of our democracy. Well, any one of those, you know, I could say any one of those we could take out. We can take out state and local. But then we don't have unemployment insurance and direct payments. We can take out testing, but then we don't have uh, the job security for the healthcare workers who would be providing. Yeah, but, you know, one thing that they miss out in all this legislation that they always combine with other things is uh, they forget to tell us that they're slotting in some other stuff. Forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. Every decision will be made to benefit American workers and American families. America will start winning again, winning like never before. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. Do not allow anyone to tell you that it cannot be done. No challenge can match the heart and fight and spirit of America. We will not fail. Our country will thrive and prosper again. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. When America is united, America is totally unstoppable. After nearly four years, my family's nightmare is finally over. We couldn't have survived this without the love and support of the millions of patriots around the world. Thank you from the bottom of our heart. Hi, I'm Laura Loomer, and I'm running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District. Wouldn't it be horrible if we lived in a nation where journalists were silenced just because they confronted the political and media elite? You might think that could never happen in America, but it did. And to me. For confronting people like Hillary Clinton on her corruption and Ilhan Omar for her ties to radical Islamic terror groups, I have been banned on pretty much every single social media platform. And if that doesn't sound extreme enough, I'm also banned on Uber and Lyft. I know, I cannot understand that last one either. When this all happened to me, I contacted the media and members of Congress. I asked them for help. 
I kept calling, I kept emailing, but I never received a reply. And that's when it hit me. I'm a well-known journalist who has the phone numbers of the most powerful people in politics and media, yet I couldn't get any assistance. What on earth would the average American do if the same thing happened to them? I realized then that if I wanted to see change, that I would need to run for office. The American people deserve representation that listens to and acts on their concerns. So here I am, running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District, because the American people deserve a voice and a representative who, like President Trump, will keep the promises they make and speak up loudly and clearly for that silent majority. Welcome back, everyone, uh, to the Tory Says Show. So as we see, the Democrats have a, have an agenda, and they will stop at nothing to get it. Now, about almost 40, 50 minutes ago, Kevin McCarthy had um, his little briefing, and I want you to hear what he had to say when they said that they wanted to rename the Army bases. I want you to listen to this carefully. But an idea. And an idea with a concept that believed in freedom that all were created equal. Here's a hand. Would you get in and join us? That's as true today as it was in 1776. We're going to face rough waters, but we're all going to be in the boat together. They all were rowing in the same direction. We may have to face challenges that we have not beat before. This is the moment in time in which we live. This is the moment in time of which how we should govern in this capital. Not by a party, but by an idea of a more perfect union. That everybody is in the boat and everybody's equal. That if there's an injustice, we'll correct it. But we live in a belief of a rule of law. Those are some of the reasons why I have the portraits in my office of which I do. I think it's this moment in time is a time that we can serve together and show a leadership that I believe this country craves. With that, let me take questions. Are you expecting there to be a combined House and Senate Republican proposal given this meeting between Jordan and Scott? And uh, are there aspects of the uh, Pelosi police bill that are non-partisan for you? What is, is objectionable in there specifically? All right, you've got two different questions there. Um, could there be... Um, a House and Senate Republican, there very well could be. We're working closely together with Senator Tim Scott. There's a lot of um, ideas that are very similar in that, especially working around um, the framework that we have from accountability to transparency um, to others. Um, in the Democrat bill, conceptually, there are, there are things that would be similar that we could address that I think we can work together on. That's why I, I find it difficult that they did not reach out to it. I reached out to many of them. And I think there's a place we can work together. I'm hopeful when we get to a markup, we could be in a place that it's not one bill or nothing, that it's the ideas of all, that it's everybody in the boat together having an opportunity to put that. And I'm hopeful that will come to fruition. Yes? What are you opposed to in the Democrats' bill? I'm not saying from one aspect or another. What I'm saying is let's sit together, find about where we're able to agree. And I think there's a lot of concepts that we agree upon. No, I'm not saying I don't disagree with anything at all. What I'd like to do at this moment in time is not have to answer a question of where we're going to fight where we disagree. 
What I'd like to do is work to where we agree upon. I think America deserves that. And I don't think any idea, I'm not going to sit it back and say, whatever you offer, it's wrong. What I'm going to say is, let's put all ideas up front and let's work together to produce law, not politics. One more question. Yes. Do you, do you support banning chokeholds? Yes. Especially uh, in the concept, if you watch within a bill coming forward, the idea of someone that would have a chokehold when somebody is handcuffed or others, there should be severe consequences. Yes. Uh, Speaker Pelosi said that the Congressional Black Caucus has also reached out to um, to the Republican Party on this. Uh, are, are their voices being considered as uh, the Republican Party creates their uh, reform package, whatever it looks like? And if you'll allow me a second question, just wondering if you can. I just wanted to say, look at the questions, right? How divisive they are. Uh, what, do you just does like hate it? Is it dead on arrival? No, no, no. So nicely and eloquently put. We don't do politics here. We do law. And then the next question, the Black Caucus. Why is there a Black Caucus? Tell me. Tell me. Because of your skin color, you have a different perspective that you need fixed? This is the problem. I react to uh, General Milley's comments that he should not have been part of the uh, photo op in front of St. John's Church. Okay, so I take your first your first question was restated. I'm sorry. Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, yeah, I, I would like to work with Congressional Black Caucus. I have a very good relationship with uh, Karen Bass. I have a high respect for Karen. We served together in the state legislature. We have worked on numerous issues from fosters, um, kids, and others. Um, I have reached out to Karen. We have talked, um, and I look forward to continuing those discussions just as we've talked to anybody who's willing to work with us. Uh, I've just recently saw this comment. I'm not sure. I, did, I didn't know how to take it. Was he commenting about in combat, in combat uniform, what he was wearing? It shouldn't have been that uniform. I wasn't quite sure. He said it was that um, it was inappropriate for him to have been there because it created a perception uh, of the military being involved in domestic Look, I have policy. a great deal of respect um, for the general and for the service he's done. Um, just now hearing it, don't know what else to say in that aspect of it. Yes. Last question. Yes, sir. I'll take a couple. Uh, a few years ago, you voted uh, along with Democrats uh, involved to remove Confederate symbols from mm -hmm. veteran cemeteries. Yeah. Um, do you believe it's time to remove Confederate uh, statues of Confederate generals and other figures uh, from the Capitol and to rename military bases that are named after Confederate figures? So I, I would take your comments mainly in regards to Speaker Pelosi's letter. Is that what we're kind of referring to? Statues. And others. Also, bipartisan amendment in the Senate uh, Armed Services Committee to force the renaming of these of places like Fort Bragg. When it comes to statues, um, states have the power to select who to come forward. When I was in the state legislature, we voted to change one of California's statues. Doesn't refer to anything Confederacy because California was not in that. But we added Ronald Reagan. Um, the statues that Nancy Pelosi are talking about. It's kind of a struggle within our own party. They, they were voted upon the legislature and brought here under Democrat majorities from Mississippi to the other states that she speaks about. States, unfortunately, when you look at the law governing the replacement of statues is 2 U.S. Code 2132. I would encourage those legislatures to be able to change from the path of what they um, brought forth. I know in North Carolina there's been a movement to change for quite some time and bring one as Billy Graham up. States have the power to do that. 
Um, I know the Democratic Party and what they have voted to bring up in the past. I think they should work towards that. In these, in, well, fortunately, to be able to. In all likelihood, to vote on this. So, how will you? How vote? will we have an opportunity to vote on this? It's governed by uh, two U.S. Code twenty one thirty two. You want to change the code? Well, I, I, you are going to vote Pelosi on Pelosi does not have the jurisdiction. Not, I, I, I'm also asking about military bases. You probably noticed that President Trump said yesterday he doesn't want them renamed. As that was going on, the Senate Armed Services Committee voted on a bipartisan basis to do exactly the opposite. You are going to have an opportunity to vote on yeah, this. Yeah, we're, we're, we're working on the vote? NDAA right now. Um, we'll see what comes out of the NDAA from that part. They'd, they'd have an opportunity to look at those bases. If there becomes, I know Esper said he would be open to it and look at it as well. I know there are a number of people in the armed services that think it could be appropriate to change some, and some would uh, say otherwise not to. So we'll look to see what comes out of the NDAA. Maybe we should name all of the bases after President Trump. Just saying. <laughs> a General Flynn base and a President Trump base. <clears throat> now, history is important. Why? Because it teaches you what you shouldn't be doing so you don't repeat the same thing, right? So this is where we need to be focused on. They want to eradicate history so that you don't remember history. Not only that, they want you to not be able to connect history to them. Most of these uh, names and statues, the majority of, were Democrats. They claim they were racist and slave owners, but everybody was back then. Everybody was because that was okay back then. It's something called evolution. So you don't erase history because when you erase it, you repeat it. Now, this is something that evil Democrats... Let me put it this way. The history you know today, what they have told you today of any history... We're talking from the Egyptians. I mean, hey, slaves made that too. Maybe we should take down the pyramids. You know... Think about it. What history you have of humankind is not correct. It's been erased, redone, erased, redone, almost in an insane pattern. Because every single time they do the same thing as if they're going to get a different outcome if they do it again. That is Actually, the definition of insanity. This is what we're seeing. It's so incredible as to how this goes. It, I mean, I just can't. I can't. I can't. I'm, I'm, I listen to this and I'm like, no, nope, not happening. Listen to what else Kevin McCarthy has to say. I'll wait to see what comes out of the NDAA. Not opposed to it, though. Did you have a... Uh, my question was also about the uh, boards. So. Oh, okay. Yes. The new U.S. Intel bulletin says that foreign adversaries are employing proxy outlets and social media to amplify criticism of the U.S. as corrupt and undemocratic in the wake of the George Floyd uh, death. I apologize. I didn't catch the beginning of it. Yeah. A new U.S. Intel bulletin yes. is saying that foreign adversaries are using social media and other tools to sow division. Is there, in the wake of the George Floyd killing, do you have any reaction to that? Yes, I... I, I I have real concern about that. This is something that others have done times in the past. 
to try to create more anger internally. Um, I think, one, that we should w- take this very seriously, make sure we're able to stop this portion. most important thing that we can do is work as one inside this Congress, to not play into those items of what they're doing. I do have concern of some things that are being said on the Democratic side, too, that they'll amplify and try to change from the defunding of police. I see what's happening in the state of Washington and the, their own uh, member, uh, Congressman Jayapal, called on the city's leaders to completely rethink policing to create a model for public safety that truly upholds the safety of all communities and redirects law enforcement spending and investing in essential services. We've got my own senator from California applauding the L.A. mayor's move to slash police funding by $150 million. You have AOC on Tuesday warned about Democrats and others trying to repackage the push to defund the police to make it more palatable to affluent swing voters among an ongoing debate of what the left-wing rallying cry actually means. Um, So yes, outside sources are doing and inside sources are doing it as well and I think that's very concerning, especially watching – on television last night, I don't have any more intel on this, but overtaking a number of streets – an autonomous zone inside the state of Washington, taking over the city hall by a city council person, giving them the key. Um, Where is the security in that? Where is the freedom in that? Um, Those are the things I'm concerned about of what happens when this type of stuff continues and members of the own Democratic Party of what they say the outcome. I know, I know there's real concerns out there. I watched the Democrats are now going after children's television. Uh, for Paul Patrol, wanting to eliminate that. I've watched where a professor in Alabama put out how to take down the Washington Monument. I saw a CNN contributor who's paid thinks that the Jefferson Memorial and the Washington Monument should be taken down. Um, these are things that I just don't quite understand what they're doing and what they're playing into. Um, it's not the better angels of America of what they speak of. Yes. Thank you very much. I asked this question to Speaker Pelosi as well. But, but I want to know the, the timing of the next relief package. Have you changed your decision on it? The timing of the next next relief package. And one thing related to that. Um, millions of Americans want to go back to work, but they need to secure care for their children. And uh, child care facilities are closed, and it may, might not be safe to open them up. But uh, uh, the, the chamber sent a letter to Congress yesterday uh, asking Congress to provide emergency funds to child care centers in the next relief package. Uh, well, child care is a real concern and also education of our children, a great concern. Of watching states able to open up, of watching states that have greater population and others within Florida compared to in New York, of doing it properly and ones uh, who have done it poorly within New York where we've had a considerable amount of deaths. Um, a lot of this hinges on governors themselves on their decision-making process. Um, So as we continue to learn more about this, we should be able to move forward. I know in the Democrats' bill, they were very concerned about cannabis. It mentioned cannabis more than jobs in that $3 trillion. I know a lot of their legislation in that $3 trillion bill was legislation that they passed long before COVID ever came around. I'm not sure anybody's talked about it much more. I also know in that bill that they fought hard for that they put in a trillion dollars for states because they were concerned about police officers not being paid, and now they want to cut the police officers. This is in a small couple-week time plan, so I'm not sure what their 
philosophy or principles are or if they have them. They also said people should not go outside, and then I watched thousands of people protest, and they're encouraging that, concerned about social distancing as well. I'm not sure what two weeks means now from today for America, what COVID looks like um, after the challenges we've had in some of these cities, if there are uptick statuses as well. That could harm child care coming forward. That could harm schools opening back up. Um, so these are all things we take in considerations and governor's word as well. But no, we still look at wanting to make sure we – whatever legislation we produce, we want to make sure we have data that it actually is helpful. I know liability protection is, is a great need. I was on a Zoom call this morning with a number of entrepreneurs, small businesses, and it was their number one um, need of whether they were going to stay open. Um, they they were praising the PPP that we were able to pass. I know it took a little longer. Some of them had had to lay some people off because Speaker Pelosi held up that first bill. And then when we warned about the money coming out, when Speaker Pelosi held that money up again, yeah, it did cause real damage and some people were laid off because of that. But PPP has been a big success. All of them from all walks of life were saying that. All of them took a big risk of the entrepreneurs able to stay open. And they were talking about liability protection. Could there be a some more reform to the PPP, that there could be some more resources. But yes, we need to get the country back open in a safe manner. And one of the core elements to do that is not only just childcare, but education and the jobs. Thank you all very much. I hope you have a nice weekend. So how are we going to have a nice evening after that? That was a pretty big whitewash, if I might say. And, you know, it came on the heels of this. And over the course of two decades or more, this soldier honorably defended America in Anbar province and Kandahar taking down terrorists. Then suddenly that vacation turns into a nightmare. The European country's national police takes that soldier into custody, detaining him or her on politically motivated charges. A prison sentence abroad is a distinct possibility. A spouse behind bars for defending freedom, a son or daughter robbed of their mom or dad, all on the initiative of some prosecutor in the Netherlands. Making sure this doesn't happen is the essence of American first foreign policy. Sadly, this isn't a hypothetical. This nightmare could become reality if the International Criminal Court follows through with its ideological crusade against American service members. Many of you might recall back in November of 2017, the court's office of the prosecutor announced its intention to investigate our brave warriors for alleged crimes arising from counterterrorism missions in Afghanistan. It wasn't a prosecution of justice, it was a persecution of Americans. The ICC cannot subject Americans to arrest, prosecution, and jail. The U.S. is not a party to the Rome Statute that created the ICC, and even if a prosecution were to proceed, it would make a mockery of due process. There's no requirement for unanimity for a conviction. The prosecution can rely on hearsay to obtain a conviction. There's no real guarantee of a speedy trial. And instead of facing a jury of one's peers, it's a panel of judges who aren't subject to any American accountability. We have responded anyway a na- a, a, the way a responsible nation must, by condemning the investigation, by suspending cooperation with the court, and denying visas to those most directly responsible for going after our personnel. We welcomed growing criticism and calls to reform the court from countries like the UK, Germany, and Japan. For a time, it looked like the IC might do the right thing and kill the investigation. But last spring, the pretrial chamber unanimously rejected the prosecutor's request to open the investigation. 
But unfortunately, then in the spring and March, the appeals chamber overturned that sound judgment and gave a green light to the current investigation, effectively eliminating constraints on the prosecutor's office ability to launch new investigations of Americans in the future. We cannot, we will not stand by as our people are threatened by a kangaroo court. Wait a minute. Kangaroo court, the same stuff we have in our nation. We have to remember that our Constitution is completely untouchable. Any law, all laws which are made, which are made, which are created, which are even enacted by that of Senate and Congress that are contradictory, repugnant to the Constitution are null and void. Null and void. That was actually stated in 1789, if I remember correctly. And an unconstitutional act is not law. It confers no rights. It imposes no duties, affords no protections, and creates no office. It is an inoperative. It is as inoperative as though it had never been passed. That is something we need to revisit many times again and again and again and again. So what we have here is kangaroo courts of other other nations that claim to be sovereign too, telling us what is right and what is wrong and how they will hold us accountable. We do not subscribe or bend the knee to anyone but God. And on top of that, we do not subscribe or accept any other nation to come to our house to take our soldiers, our citizens, and tell us what crimes that they must be held accountable because they are not recognized. Because once again, we have an untouchable constitution, untouchable, untouchable, untouchable. And indeed, I have a message to many close allies around the world. Your people could be next, especially those from NATO countries who fought terrorism in Afghanistan right alongside of us. We're also gravely concerned about the threat the court poses to Israel. The ICC is already threatening Israel with an investigation of so-called war crimes committed by its forces and personnel in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip. Given Israel's robust civilian and military legal system and strong track record of investigating and prosecuting wrongdoing by military personnel, it's clear the ICC is only putting Israel in its crosshairs for nakedly political purposes. It's a mockery of justice. More than 300 members of Congress, Republicans and Democrats alike, recently sent me letters asking that the United States support Israel in the face of the ICC's lawless, politicized attacks. That's what the U.S. is dead set on doing, and with good reason. They're a trusted and, and wonderful partner and a buttress of American security. If a rogue court can intimidate our friend or any other ally into abrogating its right to self-defense, that puts Americans at risk as well. Absent corrective action, we can expect the ICT will continue its present reckless course. I've laid out the court's fatal process flaws and the danger it poses to Americans and our allies, but we also oppose the court because it's grossly ineffective and corrupt. In 18 years of operation, the court, staffed by nearly 1,000 people, has secured only four convictions for major crimes despite spending well over a billion dollars. 
Nonetheless, the judges of the ICC recently brought suit against their own court seeking a 26% pay raise from their 180,000 euro tax-free annual salary. That's about a quarter million dollars U.S., give or take. This record of botched prosecutions and poor judgment casts grave doubt on the court's ability to function at the most basic level and demonstrates the highly politicized nature of this institution. Which brings me to the reason we're all here today. The Trump administration is taking the following actions. First, we're authorizing the imposition of economic sanctions against ICC officials directly engaged in ICC efforts to investigate U.S. personnel or allied personnel against that allied state's consent and against others who materially support such officials' activities. Wait a minute. Does that include that list of states that I read off and cities, their governors and mayors? Oops. See, the discussion was purposeful. Designations will be made on a case-by-case basis against specific individuals or entities. And second, the United States is expanding visa restrictions for officials directly engaged in those same investigations. Ah, visa restrictions. Here we go. So after the break, we're going to talk about this and what this really means because things are really heating up. We're seeing this turmoil that we're experiencing is not just here. It's everywhere, everywhere. These globalists will stop at nothing. (laughs) Is someone going to tell them that they've already lost? The war is over. These are just battles that haven't played out yet. See y'all in just a bit, right after this break. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So we're going to kind of delve into a little bit more. uh, Well, we're just going to listen to what our appointed and elected officials had to say. Well, they were all appointed, the ones talking. um, In regards to the international courts uh, and our sovereignty and how we will be holding them accountable. So I'm just going to continue on from where um, Secretary Pompeo poked fun, which was rightly so, that here they are, billions and billions of dollars spent in so many years and only four convictions. And what are these convictions? Don't forget the people that sit, uh, you know, as judges in these places are people that have been obviously, obviously, Uh, They approve of genocide within their own nations. They're criminals themselves. And yet they're going to sit there and edumacate and hold us accountable. But anyway, listen to what else he says. This This is one of the most interesting pressers I've heard in a very, very long time. We're extending and expanding these restrictions to include their family members. It gives us no joy to punish them. But we cannot allow ICC officials and their families to come to the United States to shop and travel and otherwise enjoy American freedoms as these same officials seek to prosecute the defender of those very freedoms. I'll close by saying this. 
Never forget the American commitment to real justice and accountability. From the Nuremberg and Tokyo trials after World War II to the more recent Yugoslavian Rwanda tribunals, the United States has always sought to uphold good and punish evil under international law. We will continue to do so. When our own people do wrong, we lawfully punish those individuals, as rare as they are, who tarnish the reputation of our great U.S. military and our intelligence services. We hold our own accountable better than the IC has done for the worst perpetrators of mass criminal atrocities. Today we stand for more clarity, we stand for sovereignty, we stand for our citizenry, and I want to thank each of you for being up here with me today, and I'll turn the podium over to Secretary Esper. Well, thank you, Secretary Pompeo, and, and thank you really for your genuine concern for our service members. Thank you for that. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for being here for this important announcement. Today, the President took necessary and decisive action with an executive order that will protect American citizens and our nation's sovereignty and defend our national security interests and those of our allies. The International Criminal Court's efforts to investigate and prosecute Americans are inconsistent with fundamental principles of international law and the practice of international courts. As the executive order notes, the United States is not a party to the Rome Statute that created the ICC, nor have we ever accepted its jurisdiction over our personnel. That is why our nation and this administration will not allow American citizens who have served our country to be subjected to illegitimate investigations. Instead, we expect information about alleged misconduct by our people to be turned over to U.S. authorities so that we can take the appropriate action as we have consistently done so in the past. The United States maintains the sovereign right and obligation to properly investigate and address any of our personnel's alleged violations of the laws of war. We have a proven record of doing just that through an American justice system that is eminently capable of handling each cases. This includes investigating and prosecuting the alleged abuse of detainees or any other misconduct. Ultimately, our justice system ensures that our people are held to account under the United States Constitution, not the International Criminal Court or other overreaching intergovernmental bodies. Moreover, there is no other force more disciplined and committed to compliance with the laws of war than the United States military, which has made lasting contributions to the cause of justice and accountability in armed conflict. For example, our military-led prosecutions in historic international military tri tribunals, including at Nuremberg, Nuremberg, as Secretary Pompeo mentioned, in addition to providing critical support to the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia. We have consistently provided training on the rule of law and given related assistance to scores of partners and allies around the globe. Additionally, since our founding, the United States military has fought to liberate the oppressed and defeat the enemies of justice from Tripoli to Normandy and from Korea to Kandahar. In fact, nearly 800,000 United States troops have served in Afghanistan over the past 19 years. More than 20,000 of them were wounded in combat. And regrettably, nearly 2,000 Americans, brave Americans, laid down their lives to stop terrorism, to protect U.S. and allied citizens, including those in The Hague, and to give the Afghan people a chance at a better life. We will not allow the unjust treatment of these or any other American personnel who have dedicated themselves to the cause of justice, security, and opportunity for all. Today, our service members remain on the front lines of the fight against terrorists, war criminals, and perpetrators of genocide, such as ISIS. I am proud of the work the United States military conducts every day 
to protect human rights, safeguard liberty, and uphold the international rules-based order. That is why the Department of Defense fully supports the President's executive order and will take every action to defend our service members. Rest assured that the men and women of the United States Armed Forces will never appear before the ICC, and nor will they ever be subjected to the judgments of unaccountable international bodies. In short, I'd like to thank the President for sending a clear message to the international community that we will always protect Americans no matter where they serve from harassment, abuse, and overreach by organizations outside of our own justice system. I'd also like to thank my colleagues here today who play an instrumental role in that effort. Together, we once again call on the ICC to respect international law and American sovereignty. We also ask states parties to the Rome Statute to ensure the ICC respects our decision. And we reaffirm that the United States will continue to uphold the rule of law, to honor our commitments, and to defend our core values. Thank you. I'll be followed by Attorney General Barr. Well, th thank you, Mark, and uh, Secretary Esper, Secretary Pompeo, and as uh, as many of you know, uh, not only are they great cabinet secretaries, they were soldiers and uh, great Americans, and I'm privileged to be here to, to join them and Attorney General Barr. Uh, as my colleagues made clear and as uh, General Barr will make clear, uh, we are here to de today to defend American sovereignty uh, and the American people who serve our great nation. The ICC's effort to target American servicemen and women and other public servants are unfounded, illegitimate, and make a mockery of justice. The reasons why are clear. First and foremost, the United States did not ratify the Statute of Rome that founded the ICC, and successive administrations have stood by that decision. As a result, the United States and its citizens are not and never have been subject to ICC jurisdiction. Second, as Secretary Pompeo laid out in detail, the ICC is a failed institution. Despite repeated calls for reform from our allies in the United Kingdom, Japan, Germany, and other countries, the court is ineffective, unaccountable, and is a politically motivated bureaucracy. To make matters worse, this specific investigation of American servicemen and women in Afghanistan, uh, we have every reason to believe our adversaries are manipulating the ICC by encouraging these allegations. These tactics represent a blatant attempt to subvert justice and the mission of the ICC. Further, we know that it, there is corruption and misconduct at the highest levels of the ICC and in the office of the prosecutor. Third, the United States holds the men and women of our armed forces to the highest legal and ethical standards. And in the rare cases where they violate those laws and norms, they are held to account by military and civilian courts in this country. I was a JAG officer in the Army, and I can tell you the United States government and military justice systems are far more effective at holding Americans accountable than the IC, ICC ever has been or ever will be, uh, and we will never allow our American soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines uh, to fall under the jurisdiction of that, accord, of that uh, purported court. We do not need a corrupt and politicized international body to second-guess our system of military justice or our system of civilian justice for, for soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines who have left the service and, uh, and, and may uh, be brought uh, before a court. The men and women who serve this nation are accountable to the Constitution to which they swore an oath, to their Commander-in-Chief, and to the institutions established by the American people, and to no one else. We will not put them, our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guardmen, and others, at the mercy of any corrupt international organization, nor will we stand by as they're persecuted 
by those who are in reality seeking to damage our country. I witnessed the signing of the executive order by President Trump yesterday. The president has no higher priority than protecting the American people. And as this executive order makes clear, he will do what it takes to defend our sovereignty and the men and women who serve and sacrifice for this nation. Thank you very much. Attorney General Barr. Thank you. I'm pleased to join my colleagues today in support of the President's action against the International Criminal Court. The ICC's recent decision to authorize an investigation into the conduct of U.S. personnel who were fighting to defeat terrorists in Afghanistan and bring peace and prosperity to the Afghan people validates our longstanding concerns about the ICC. This institution has become, in practice, little more than a political tool employed by unaccountable international elites. Uh, these people wield this tool to manipulate and undercut the foreign policies of a democratically accountable sovereign nation and other nations, including the United States. The United States, as has been mentioned, has never consented to ICC jurisdiction. Worse yet, we are concerned that foreign powers, like Russia, are also manipulating the ICC in pursuit of their own agenda. The measures announced today are an important first step in holding the ICC accountable for exceeding its mandate and violating the sovereignty of the United States. The U.S. government has reason to doubt the honesty of the ICC. The Department of Justice has received substantial, credible information that raises serious concerns about a long history of financial corruption and malfeasance at the highest levels of the office of the prosecutor. This information calls into question the integrity of the ICC's investigations. This includes information going back many years about multiple matters, including recent matters, and it has, in our view, uh, may well have a bearing on the current investigation announced by the ICC. The Department of Justice, together with partners across the United States government, is investigating and we are committed to uncovering and, if possible, holding people accountable for their wrongdoing, any wrongdoing that we may find. The executive actions announced here will ensure that those who assist the ICC's politically motivated investigation of American service members and intelligence officers without the United States' consent will suffer serious consequences. The Department of Justice fully supports these measures and will vigorously enforce the sanctions imposed today under the executive order to the fullest extent of the law. Thank you. Fullest extent of the law. I hope that those cities we mentioned the other day are listening carefully. It was not happenstance, happen chance, happenstance, both the same, by the way, uh, that this occurred. And you're going to see more coming to uh, the forefront. I mean, we had lovely Project Veritas pretty much expose their funding, expose that they are getting funded by foreign entities like George Soros. So this is where it comes down to it. What do we do? Do we allow them to get in? 
this is it. Do we allow them to enter our nation and tell us how to run it? That's the question. Now, here's uh, the um, Antifa segment that they did and they put out uh, showing that they had someone infiltrate the armed revolutionary group that was linked to Tacoma, to the Tacoma Ice Fire Bomber. Um, that's a pretty big deal. Take a listen. Redneck Revolt came across our radar in early 2018. Uh, we had seen some articles online about them and saw that they were sort of the militia wing of Antifa, also called the John Brown Gun Club. I reached out to the chapter in Shelby, North Carolina over Facebook Messenger and I received a reply right away. They they are Antifa in that they share the Antifa ideology. This particular group sees themselves as armed revolutionaries and they believe in total abolition of everything including the police. finished shooting they needed to interview me this was part of my initiation if an officer of the state came to your door and asked you questions about your political ideology and people you associate with how would you respond i would say no if you were tabling at a gun show and someone loudly accused you of being a terrorist or part of antifa how would you handle it i probably would laugh so Redneck Revolt came across our radar in early 2018. Uh, we had seen some articles online about them and saw that they were sort of the militia wing of Antifa, um, also called the John Brown Gun Club. I reached out to the chapter in Shelby, North Carolina over Facebook Messenger and I received a reply right away from the leader. His name was Paul Ditz. She's asking questions about the NRA. Well, we're the wrong people to ask about the NRA. Are you a member of the NRA? Hell no. No. I hate no, the NRA. Really? The NRA is a white supremacist terrorist organization. Absolutely. <laughs> Can I quote you? Yes. <laughs> they. They are Antifa in that they share the Antifa ideology, and it can be shared by many different groups. Typically, Antifa that you see on TV are the ones that are dressed in all black, you know, and they go and they throw rocks or bricks and start trouble. This particular group sees themselves as armed revolutionaries. They're all about the working class, you know, so they share this communist anarchist ideals that the working class should run the country with no government and they believe in total abolition of everything including the police. Charlottesville was comprised of your typical Antifa black block measures. There were also Black Lives Matter. There were multiple chapters of Redneck Revolt that went to Charlottesville and acted as the militia wing of the anti-fascist movement. One of their missions is to arm minorities. They feel that black Americans and minorities are disenfranchised by gun laws and permit fees. I would say probably around the third time that I met with them, they invited me to go 
to the gun range with them for what they called range night. This is semi. Okay. That means semi-automatic. Okay. One shot for one trigger yeah. pull. Kind of have one foot back. Mm -hmm. And this arm, you want to have both arms straight. Going to the gun range with Redneck Revolt was especially stressful and scary because A, they had guns, and B, I was wired with a camera. So the entire time that I was there at the gun range, especially while we were shooting guns, I was constantly worried that something would come unattached or a wire would show. Uh, so I had to just be very careful about how I was wired up that night. Once we were finished shooting, they turned to me and told me that they needed to interview me and that this was part of my initiation as part of my probationary period. They basically led me out back of the gun range and we sat outside where they asked me various questions about my ideology. If an officer of the state came to your door and asked you questions about your political ideology and people you associate with, how would you respond? An officer of the state, like who? Like, it could be. If they came to my door and asked me about they, my political... If they, if they said, uh, um, do you know Clyde and Millie? And can you tell us about the political work that you do? Oh, how would you respond to that? I would say no. For one thing, I think if they came to my door, they would have to have a warrant in the first place, wouldn't they? And especially well, just maybe, maybe yeah. not. Well, especially to start asking random questions like that. Yeah, I mean, I would be like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I would just say no, and probably not say much else. I mean, I've been taught like you don't talk to cops. I mean, I don't agree with, like, going and shooting police or anything like that, but, <laughs> or, like, hunting them down and whatever, Definitely. but, yeah, yeah we're, like, we're, I just think, like... We're, we're an above-ground organization. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, so... So if you, if you right. want to do it, you have to do it on your own time. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, we, we, you can't talk to us about it either, or if you yeah. do do it and we find out about it, we're going to have to kick you out of the group. Oh, no, 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 no. In a hypothetical situation at a gun show, if you were tabling, at a gun show and someone loudly accused you of being a terrorist or part of Antifa, how would you handle it? Like if someone said it to me directly? Yeah, mm-hmm. If someone's being directly confrontational with you in a And they said people. I was a terrorist? Yeah, part of Antifa. <laughs> uh, you're an Antifa super soldier and you're going to... You kill babies. George Soros is paying you to attack the government and you're getting right. Hillary I probably would laugh. So their heroes were people like John Brown and Harriet Tubman. Um, one of the first meetings I went to was really interesting because they were handing out coloring books that they made for children. Book, it's got, you know, some illustrations of Harriet Tubman, John Brown, and some other people like that. While I was in North Carolina, in the Charlotte area, one other thing that I was doing on the side was I was working as a volunteer um, in some campaigns. Initially, when Redneck Revolt found out that I was volunteering, they were okay with it because 
the, the candidate was my friend. After I had been in the group for a few months, I had already passed the probationary membership. They had already voted me in as a member. They confronted me over Signal, which is what they use for their communications. Uh, they confronted me with the fact that I had Facebook posts in support of a candidate for sheriff. And that's where they said to me, that's where we fundamentally disagree. We don't believe in reform of any kind. We believe in complete abolition of the system itself, including police. So that was a major issue. And they ended up telling me that they had a lot of concerns. The words they used were, they had security concerns about me and that I should not come back to the meetings again. Huh. So they had security concerns. You know, they're stopping and frisking people now in those, uh, you know, areas that are supposedly controlled by them only. Uh, that's actually quite interesting itself, isn't it? So here we are where we're going to see how George Soros is one of the sugar daddies here. Great job. <laughs> We did apply for a grant from Soros at one point a long time ago. We actually did get a, a, a grant from them. There is going to be a need for thousands of people and then millions to come into the streets. He's trying to become style. We've been talking to his assistant. We're meeting with his main his main advisor on the future. And he has political ambitions that he may actually want to not directly connected. In Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, you, and this is, this at a certain point dominates the national news. Very disruptive, of course. Last week, we released video of New York Antifa-like group Refuse Fa, short for Refuse Fascism, training people how to poke people's eyes out and reframing assault as self-defense. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, if that doesn't knock him out, then yeah, the nose, the eyes, the eyes, the We just kind of want to, in the space, reframe the idea of self-defense as not simply you're being acted upon by an aggressor, but it's a kind of a decision you make um, to fight back. Uh, in a lot of ways to say, um, I'm human and I'll this, I occupy this space and I'll be not, not now today, we unmask undercover footage of their national organizer, the national organizer for refused fascism, and we release footage that suggests who might even be funding their militant operation. The ultimate vision is to, for people to break with their comfort and come into the streets day after day, night after night, in the hundreds of thousands, until the millions, and not leave until they have a step
we did apply for a grant from Soros at one point, a long time ago, when I was doing more um, uh, abortion rights and defending clinics. We actually did get a, a, a grant from them around, um, we started a thing called the National Day of Appreciation for Abortion Providers. Contributing money is a look, we are not going to reach millions without millions. That's just a, that's just straight up. We are not going to do it. We need millions of dollars to reach millions of people. You know, if you can get a meeting with um, either one of those, um, Sansara Taylor or Andy Z, you would be like, it would be, it would be a, a very important experience in your life. So this is it. George Soros, the one that finally came out. I mean, so many times people have trolled him. You're a loser. You are funding hate. You are funding terror. You helped us take down the Ukraine. And now we have it. Like I said, the minute we declare him an enemy of the state, that's when it happens. See, if the ICC was doing their job, they would have been holding George Soros accountable. But the thing is, they get funded by him, too. That should be coming soon. Now, where... Where are we headed, right? Where are we headed as a nation, aside from the chaos, aside from the insurgencies, the infiltration, the disinformation that we are seeing? What do we see? Well, the Senate Judiciary Committee voted 12-10 along party lines this Thursday to allow Graham to save himself and subpoena former Barack Hussein Obama officials, part of the GOP-led probe into the Russia investigation. Now, this is important because now he does have the sweeping authority to subpoena documents, and that's to over 50 people that are related to the Russia investigation. That includes Comey, Brennan, Clapper. It should include a lot more people that are up there than just them. I mean, we need to see Lynch, right? We need to see Carlin. We need to see McCord. We need to see Newland. We've got so many to see. So Judiciary Committee Democrats were arguing that this authorization is broad and it's removing the minority party's ability to approve individual subpoenas. Wait a minute, you guys. You did that in the House. You pushed out a partisan impeachment and you have the cheek to come around and say, well, that's not fair. We're the minority. We don't. Mm, 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 mm. You don't seem to get it. You don't seem to get it. The Senate Homeland Security Committee was also on its own investigating uh, the FBI and how they were probing in. And they also allowed Senator Johnson to get subpoenas last week. This is a, and like I said, we're going to have the hiatus for summer vacation because, you know, they've been working so hard in Congress and in the Senate. So we're going to have this all come out. August is... <laughs> August, July, August, while you're pulling your hair with this new push to push for vote by mail, because they think they could cheat, you know, uh, we already fixed this. If you remember 2018, we watched them, we let them, we followed them, we saw them, we saw people that one places in Congress that were fully endorsed by foreign governments. Why does what Turkey, Qatar, Libya, Somalia, Jordan, China, why do they have a say in our 
nation's elections. I don't know. <laughs> Let's just stop right there. So here's the thing. Now Johnson and Graham have amazing power. And they're going to be issuing reports, per se, before the elections. Now, let me tell you something. No one cares about the report. No one wants to look at the reports. No one wants to see the reports. What people want to see is indictments. Now, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to push out these indictments before the elections. And that's true. But it is after Labor Day that you are going to start seeing beads of sweat as if they're being uh, toppled with buckets of water on the stand. This will be all of October, all of September out for the people to see. Schiff is going to go through some things very, very soon. Very, very soon. You have to think with pure logic and objectively. Look. You obviously have to have all these hearings, all these people subpoenaed before you declassify things. Always. Because you can't declassify. It's not, you can't rip off the band-aid. Me telling you history is all fake. Yeah, I don't know about, yeah, I do. But I can't rip that band. You have to see it yourself. You have to see it yourself. So this way, right, this way, we have them in the public eye in September and October, because if they do lock us up, lock us up with a new virus, more riots, there's going to be more riots, obviously, uh, you know, and all this, huh? they're going to lock us up. People are going to be watching TV. And this is why in uh, a couple weeks, we got social media on notice. We got Google on notice. We got a lot on notice. There's a time frame about um, Google and the Department of Justice um, that was set for this summer. So I want you guys to listen to this amongst the pandemic and the riots, what was discussed in regards to Google, because this is really, really important and not getting a lot of coverage. So here's where we go. The Justice Department is questioning how their search function works. Listen. To lead off with is uh, the Justice Department and Google. Where are we on that? Yeah. And by the way, Neil, if you talk about having a disproportionate impact on the markets, uh, any any potential case or depending on the severity of the case on Google, that could really hit the markets uh, hard. Uh, again, uh, Google is a huge company. It's a huge component of, of these of the markets. And uh, if the Justice Department goes after them aggressively, you know, you can see markets declining as uh, with with Google stock. But here's what we do know. The DOJ is obviously investigating them. Uh, a lot of people saying they are moving toward some sort of a case against Google. Uh, the timing of that case now, we understand, given the uh, coronavirus, uh, the other distractions that the uh, Justice Department has <coughs> going into uh, going into a week of unrest you know, after the week of unrest that we had, if we understand that could delay it. So the the the, the summer timetable. They were supposed to come out with something in the summer. A lot of people thought it would be a case, given what the sort of signals that were coming out of the Justice Department and Attorney General Barr's office. But we're hearing that the the summer timetable could be pushed out. The other thing that's kind of unclear, and again, this is where the markets are hyper-focused on, and
and including uh, including investors in Google is just how aggressive will the the case be? Will it be a narrowly tailored case involving Google's ad search preferences? Uh, that's very narrow. It doesn't encompass the whole company. It's not existential. It's just whether Google gives benefit beneficial treatment on ad searches to people that place ads on, on Google. Uh, that can be remedied without a major disruption of, of the company, or whether it's something larger, like their entire search uh, function, whether that breeds anti-competitive behavior, because it's not just ad search, it's a million other things that skews uh, ad search searches essentially to Google ways Google can make money and gain an unfair advantage over others and be anti-competitive as it relates to the consumer. So those are the two questions: when it's going to be delayed, how aggressive. I can't tell you exactly where we're going, where where they're going to come out on either of those. Silicon Valley, Wall Street, watching this a lot, and they don't know. Uh, there's mixed signals coming out of the Justice Department in, in various speeches uh, on both. Uh, so that's where we are there, again there on Google again. Watch this story. It's going to have a major impact on the stock and the markets. The second thing is Major League Baseball. We were first to report that the owners would have a proposal yesterday. They did. Uh, players threw some cold water on it. We understand that Major League Baseball is now expecting a counteroffer from the players as early as today or, tom or tomorrow. Now, here's where it gets interesting, Neil. Um, the players are right now in discussions about a potential counteroffer and what they're going to Okay, I, I really do want to see baseball this year. I'm right next to a baseball field, and I seriously want to go. But anyway, topic for another discussion. So let's talk about Google. Okay, so we know they're like Jabba the Hutt or that thing from, you know, the with the pimples from Dune, the movie Dune, right? This is not your average antitrust case, okay? I want you guys to understand that right now we have – the Department of Justice, the Trump administration, Trump, the new and improved-ish, -ish, we still have a lot of work to do, FBI and intelligence community, working against big tech, Antifa, ISIS, infiltration, foreign interests in our nation. Now, while most people think this is only about how Google dominates online ads, um, the Department of Justice is um, looking into, well, they're telling you that what they're looking into is their monopolization of advertising tech on how people advertise. And this also includes Android phones. So they're, they've been making billions of dollars in uh, advertising revenue. Now, while you think it's about, hey, why can't the little guy that wants to advertise, why can't they go this way or that way or... Only if you pay a lot of money will Google let your stuff be seen, et cetera, et cetera, right? Why can't it be a fair search? Why are you blocking this? Why are you blocking that? You know, Google is making a lot of money on advertising, but that's not the point. Like I've told you, the city's collected data on populations, all of the populations, the surviving ones too, that um, help them train artificial intelligence to understand your digital profile because that is your actual profile. You know, you only see the tip of the iceberg that is you. All your wants and needs are there. Uh, you know how many times have you flipped through Instagram and 
there's an advertisement of something that you were like, hey, you know what? I was kind of thinking about that. Uh, that sounds interesting. I didn't even say that out loud or over a phone or anything. How's that coming up? You know, pretty, pretty bizarre, right? It's just popping up like, whoa, how'd you know? So these technologies, this technology that's been existing, that's in training in order to be deployed against you, this is a weapon. It's like they have your photo image of your soul. Does that make sense? I've always said that if I could travel back in time, (laughs) oh my gosh, if, right? But I always said that I'd go with a camera and uh, be back in the times of being that magician or that um, person in the Delphi that can see things. And the way that I would get their attention is by taking a picture of them and say, look, I captured your soul. Well, think of it the same way. Google has been capturing all our souls. Mm, Digital format per se, right? Because we're not software. Of course we are. But that's another story. So here's where they're going with it. Who's, Who's in control of this and who has control of that tech? that AI, that they are spreading like wildfire and we are voluntarily joining in because it makes life easy, so much easier to wear a watch and tell you how many steps you took, so much easier to have a scale to step on it, gives you some numbers and tells you what you are because apparently you need to see one pound. Just just look at your clothes. Do they fit better? That's what you, can you walk without dying? That's what you need to focus on. You know, basic stuff. But instead... We contribute to it. And hey, I'm, I'm one of them. I love technology. I love technology because it does make things simpler. <sighs> but it's what they call a double-edged sword. No matter where you grab it, you're going to get cut. And here we have them going after how they're collecting the data, right? That's what they're telling you. But it's also Why? Why? Forget the fact that you monopolize all advertising. You're making money off of everyone. That's your niche. Fair enough. Why? Why are you in bed with social media? Why are you taking over everything? Why? Who is behind the Alpha and Omega or Alphabet Inc.? Who is really behind Alphabet Inc.? You have to think. Who is behind Alphabet Inc.? I know a lot of people are like, well, Gates this, Gates that. I mean, did you see how the Melinda Gates says, oh, we're going to first vaccinize all the black people because she wants to kill them first. Remember how she said that in passing somewhere in Africa, how they need to regulate the population of black people. But anyway, I digress. This is going to be the most ultimate weapon deployed. And right now they are seeking a way to make it easy. They don't want to tell people, hey, this is a weapon and you're contributing to it because it's so embedded in your life. Hey, we need to find a way to regulate this correctly. Hey, take the red pill. Wake up, wake up, wake up. And it's not wake up that this is that you have a party, two parties, Republican included, right? But mostly 100% on the Democrat side, almost 99.9999999. They're the party of death, of hate. They hate you. They hate humankind. They hate 
people. They hate you who turn around and want to hold them accountable. But let's remember, we have an untouchable U.S. Constitution. That brunette (laughs) did her job as a printer. That woman's name that's on the Declaration of Independence made sure of it. We are striving to make sure that this is a perfect union. We do not bend the knee. We do not forget our recent history because the other history they tell us is pretty skewed. All of it. We wish to have what we were promised by our forefathers. We wish to have peace. We wish to have enlightenment. That is what our life is about, really. Europe has gone first, you know, in regards to how they formulate their search engine. You know that, right? They actually did this. And so there's a choice menu that they have um, that you can put forward. Uh, Yes, they do. And that is the 2018 ruling that the European authorities had put against the company by abusing its dominance in the smartphone software. And so, um, you know, to have search engines embedded right away. And this is because it conflicts with the other uh, factions and groups, kind of like the way ISIS, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, you know, they hijack actual good things and make them their own. Uh, The chief executive of DuckDuckGo, which is privacy focused, said that the Justice Department officials are investigating Google search businesses, and they have asked the company on several occasions in the past month for details about the preference menu and the impact it could make in leveling the playing field. So you can have a preference of what and how you can choose to see things. And so, you know, do I care? Is it an open search? Is it a strict search? Is it an R search? It is this search, whatever it is. Now, Google controls over 90% of all web searches across the planet, across the planet. And the thing is, this CEO said something pretty remarkable uh, in an article that I read um, on Bloomberg. He said, they had a lot of uh, a lot of very pointed questions. Pointed questions. So it's not about business competition. It's figuring out who is pulling the strings and who is behind all of it. Because all these idiots, Pelosi and the rest of them, don't even know who they work for. That's the worst part about it. They don't even know who they work for. They're just going in blind. They don't know who they work for. Pretty incredible, isn't it? If you think about it, it's crazy. Because everything, 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 everything. And, you know, I'm going to have to play that song again. You know, Assange told us everything is...
is an illusion. This is all an illusion. This is exactly what is happening. So in other things that we should just mention is, boy, did Antarctica just come into the picture? Like, whew, that was left field. That wasn't supposed to happen until way later, way later. We're talking 2022. So interesting. It seems that it's very well timed with the ICC. What are you hiding? So we have... So many things that are up and coming. We have like, uh, you know, within our nation, uh, topics of discussion. I mean, we have a soccer team, right? National soccer team says, you know, that it's, it's not going to make, uh, players stand for the national anthem. Then we're not having a national soccer team. Done. You don't stand for the national anthem. You don't stand for national period. Uh, they should be defunded if they're being funded. Those are things we should be, you know, kind of focused on. These are the things we should be talking about. Or how, you know, some people are, I don't know, getting away with child rape. <laughs> child rape. They actually deal have deals for these people. Deals for these people. Why? Because they know other people. And they give names. So in Utah, a guy that had tons of videos of assailing children and had some really weird basement laboratory uh, and videos of him doing that was just uh, just one year in jail. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. He created an, a cryptocurrency, this blockchain cryptocurrency. I mean, he's smart. No, it's because he gave us some people up. That's the way it is. What, what you need to remember is that God wins in the end. There is no way. He created us in his image. And in other news, we're also having the president, the RNC is touring these cities for possible GOP convention sites. I don't care what Ronna McDaniel has to say. We need to stick to what we know works. We will not change things in the middle. Today on the, the contending cities to be the host of the Republican National Convention in August. Blake. Indeed there, Connell, and those unemployment projections that were put forward by the Fed today that you heard Edward talk about will likely amplify the talks here in Washington, D.C. about a phase four relief package. It was very interesting to hear from President Trump's top two economic advisors today as they did not rule out the possibility of another round of direct payments. Listen here. We're going to seriously look at whether we want to do more direct money to stimulate the economy. Payments too, as the Treasury Secretary said. Uh, it's possible. Uh, I, I don't. I don't want to say yes. I don't want to say no. As you also mentioned, Connell, it is becoming increasingly clear that the Republican convention in late August will not take place in its entirety in Charlotte, North Carolina. The RNC says that could cost that area roughly $200 million in economic activity. The RNC says some meetings will occur there, but they are looking at the big celebrations to take place in either Jacksonville, Florida, Savannah, Georgia, Nashville, Tennessee, Phoenix, Arizona, or Dallas, Texas. That state's Democratic governor, back to North Carolina, Roy Stop. Listen, Savannah, Georgia. Oh, you mean where we have a strong city unified, right? Nashville, Tennessee, where Chattanooga, Tennessee has an agreement with the U.N. police. Jacksonville, Florida, Phoenix, Arizona, Dallas, Texas. No, 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 no. Dallas will be a bloodbath when the U.N. comes in. Listen, 
We just need to stick to what we know. Where have we invested? We've invested in Cleveland. Let's just get it here. This is where you got the nomination when they were reluctant to give it to you. Now take it again. You know it works. Stay there. Why is the Secret Service doing risky things? I don't like it. Now, one thing. I tweeted it out. Hey, it's all about an illusion, and it's all about forgetting history. Why? Why are they trying to remove the past that reminds you of what and who they were? Because then you're destined to make the same mistakes again. How many times do we have to reset? How many times? I mean, how many planets? How many versions? How many timelines? How many times are we going to do this? This is the ultimate, you know, thing. How do you destroy things that represent history and make it a good thing? If you forget where you came from, you have no idea where you're going. That's the thing. But they don't want you to remember. Just like they didn't want you to remember that Che Guevara was hanging out on Obama 08 walls. Something we missed. Something I missed. Something we all missed. But we're all getting it now. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Same time, same place. Pray that my eye socket is not fractured because it's been killing me for two days now. God bless everyone. From all of us here at Red State Talk Radio. See you tomorrow.